Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. I want to do something. I want to kind of, where we're finishing up New Normal and we've done that, there's one passage I really wanted to talk about relative to Caleb. And so I want to do that tonight. I want to talk to you on the subject that God has more for us. You know, one of the things about Caleb is we talked about he's wholehearted, he closed the gap. That there was something about his life, he was never satisfied. One of the things that keeps us from receiving from the Lord is when we come to a place where we are spiritually satisfied, where, we're, where we've had enough, we've, we've been in his presence enough, we've received enough, we've, we feel like God has done enough. I'm not talking about being content in the Lord, which is certainly something all of us should have that sense of contentment in the Lord, but contentment in the Lord doesn't mean we've stopped growing in the Lord. Contentment in the Lord doesn't mean that we don't want the Lord to do more in our life. So spiritual satisfaction is not the same as contentment. And in the Bible, it's, I've always found it very interesting. There's this story about Caleb and his daughter, and it's repeated twice in the Bible. You find it in Joshua chapter 15. You find it in Judges chapter 1. It's virtually verbatim, but you find it twice, and it's a very unique story. And whenever God puts something in the word twice, it's because God has a purpose. It's because God is wanting you and I to learn from it. It's his way of emphasizing that particular story. Let's pick it up in verse 13. According to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, he gave Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the people of Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba, Arba was the father of Anak. And Kiriath Arba, what that means is the city of four. So scholars say it's one of two things. Either it is a confederation of four cities, Hebron being one of them, or more likely it is the city of four giants. So there are four giants who live there. We read on and it says this, and Caleb drove out from there three sons of Anak, Sheshai, Ahimon, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak. So it may have been that Anak was there and he was slain in a battle leading up to that time. The three other giants were there and Caleb drove them out. So, I mean, he's a giant killer. So God has done an amazing thing for him, and, and as they're settling the land and taking the land, Caleb is given Hebron because he has served God wholeheartedly, but he's also got an area around Hebron that he can conquer. We read on in verse 15, it says this, and he went up from there against the inhabitants of Deber. Now the name of Deber formerly was Kiriath Sefer, and Caleb said, whoever strikes Kiriel Sefer and captures it, to him I'll give Aksa, my daughter, as a wife. Now, one of the things we have to just be careful of is, is when we're reading the Bible, and this trips a lot of people up because they're like, well, I never, you know, like, the, like his daughter's some prize and he's bribing people or he's using her. And we have a tendency, if we're not careful, 
to superimpose the cultural values and understandings of our day on the Bible, and because it's different there than it is today, we're like, oh, that's so wrong. But what we have to do is we have to understand what's, ex what's happening there. Let me say a couple of things. Um, just by way of Deber, first of all, Kiryat Sefer, uh, it means city of the books. So this is a probably a judicial legal center. It's in a very important city. Very much may have been a spiritual center. So this is a notable city. This is not just, you know, a spot in the road with a post office there. This is a city of some standing. Caleb, for his part, as a, as a father, he's got a daughter, and in that day, marriages are arranged, uh, typically, but Caleb wants the best for his daughter. It is his responsibility as her father to make sure that she has a marriage that is in every way suitable. So in order to make sure she marries a valiant man, what Caleb does is Caleb says, whoever can attack this city, they get to marry my daughter. It's reasonable to assume that he pretty much knows who's going to do it. Because the person who does it is his nephew, Othniel. So he, he knows who Othniel is. We know we're going to, you could read about him in Judges 3. He's a, in the Hebrew, a Gibor Hayil, he's a mighty man. He is a man of standing. He's a man of note. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of, of skill. He is a man who is respected. What he's going to do is he no doubt senses this is what's going to happen. Othniel is going to go and attack the city. And the city is going to be a dowry. He's going to have to provide a dowry. So when a man takes a woman, the father of the bride gives them money uh, to set them up or gives them a large gift to set them up. So in that day, if you had a daughter, you would provide a dowry for that couple. And so what Caleb says is, listen, I'm going to give him the city as a dowry. So he's like, I'm going to get her a great husband. I'm going to give her an amazing wedding gift. She's going to get this great city as her dowry. So Aksa, we're going to read on there, uh, Othniel attacks the city. He leads the charge, attacks it, he captures it. She gets Othniel's a husband. She gets a prominent city as a wedding gift. She gets fields around the city because as we're going to see in a minute, she goes to her husband and says, hey, we've got the city, but you're going to have to have the fields around the city. And so she goes to Othniel and she says, hey, ask my dad if he'll give us the fields around the city. It's very interesting. She's, she's gotten a city, she's gotten a husband, and now she's asking for the fields around it. This is, a, this is a woman who understands something about her father who is himself a very righteous man. So um, you can imagine as they're getting ready to do all this that the warriors who are going to go up against are saying, yeah, that'd be a great family to marry into. Imagine having Caleb as your father-in-law and being a part of that. It's going to be a notable uh, group of, of people to be a part of. And uh, Caleb's just such an amazing guy, man. I'd love to be a son-in-law and his daughter. She's, she's um, 
obviously got a lot on the ball. She's, she's a sharp person. And then others are saying, yeah, but all that's great, but if you get killed, you won't be around to enjoy it. It doesn't matter how good her family is. So Othniel says, I'm going to do it for God. I like the girl, but I'm going to do it for God. So he attacks. The question is, why is this twice in the Bible? Because it seems just like very, uh, just kind of a side story in some ways. Look at it in verse 17. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, captured it, and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as wife. And when she came to him, so she comes to Othniel, and she goes up to him, and she urged him to ask her father for a field. So Othniel is probably a little bit shy, a little hesitant to go up to Caleb, and she's like, hey, listen, I want you to do this and ask him for a field. I know he'll give it to you. What does she know about her dad? She knows he's generous. She knows that he loves her. She knows that he loves to bless people. So she asks for that, and when she does, I mean, Othniel goes and he, he makes the request and they get it, but now acts all of a sudden. I mean, this portrays her in a very positive light. In fact, the book of Judges portrays several women in a very positive light. So uh, especially for uh, people who feel that women are disrespected in the Bible, people that don't understand the Bible, um, the book of Judges highlights, I mean, Deborah, she leads the, the nation in victory. There's others uh, that do that as well. But here's Aksa, and she is a woman of, of great intelligence, of great uh, business acumen, practical wisdom, a very wise woman. And you know, she could say, well, you know, dad has done enough and I shouldn't ask for more, but she knows he's generous. She knows he's a giver. She knows he delights in her. And she knows he loves to bless people. So watch what happens. She got off her donkey, so she's got in the field now. She's got the city. She's got the husband. And she could be thinking, man, I, I shouldn't ask for any more. She got off her donkey, and Caleb said to her, what do you want? <laughs> he knows her. She didn't come in to give him a kiss on the cheek. She didn't come in to say, Daddy, I love you. Thank you. He can see the look in her eye, and he knows that she's going to ask him for something. Look the way she positions it. Give me a blessing. Dad, I know that you love me, and I know you want to take care of me, and I know your heart's to do good to me, and I know you've done a lot for me, and I know that you've blessed me in a big way, but I believe that you're a dad who loves to bless your family. You love to bless your children. And so I'm asking for a blessing. Since you have given me the land of the Negev, give me also springs of water. And what did he do? He gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. He didn't get, just give her one set of springs. He gave her two sets of springs. Why is this in the Bible? Because when it comes to walking by faith, one of the things God admires is when people believe 
He loves them. He delights in them. He cares for them. He loves to provide for them. And he loves to do more for them. He loves it when people come and say, God, you've done so much for me. I know you love me and I'm grateful for all you've done. But Lord, I need more and that's no problem to you because you're a generous God. Everything is yours and more for me is not less for somebody else. Oh God, I'm just asking you to do more in my life. One of the dangers that we can get into is when God begins to bless, what can happen, and I've seen it, people who experience the blessing of God, and because they've been blessed to a certain extent, a certain degree, a certain level, they're no longer hungry for the more that God has for them. They sit back and they say, you know what, God has been so good, for me, good to me, great! but there's more. You know, God did this and God did that, but everything becomes past tense. If the blessing of God on your life and the favor of the Lord on your life is predominantly past tense in terms of when you have to think of what God is doing and how God is working and the way God is moving you into more, if that's a past tense thing, if, if it's like, well, you know, five years ago and two years ago, if it's not present tense that God is doing more in your life and you're desiring more and you're asking for more, then here's what happens. You get less. If you're not asking for more, you're going to get less. You can say, God, I want more. I want you to do more. I want to see more. More of your blessing. I mean, in the church, I think this is a big part where we say more. Not because we want to get big, but because we want to reach the lost. And there's more people to reach. Hands down, there's just more people to reach than ever before. There's more people who need a witness of the gospel. There's more people who need the power of God in their life to set them free in ways human beings and human power cannot. So we've got to pray, Lord, give us more. Give us Give us souls in this city. We've been praying for revival. We've been asking God to give us more. It's a godly prayer. It's a good prayer. It, it's something God delights in. We can thank the Lord and say, hey, praise God. God, there were 2,100 kids in, in the elementary and the preschool area on Sunday. But God, we're asking for more because there's a whole lot of kids who need a godly influence in their life. And there's a whole lot of parents that it will touch when the kids hear the gospel. God, we want more. In every aspect of the church, we can talk about that. And unless you're asking for more, you're settling for less from God because some things only come when you ask. God's a good God. God desires to do good things. But unless we're seeking from him those things. And listen, I'm not talking about, about everybody being a millionaire. I mean, I think God, I think God wants to bless people. And, and that, that takes... You know, in everybody's life, God has a plan for how that works. I don't think God's opposed to blessing people financially. I just don't think he is. I think he wants to bless people. But it's more than that. It's, the, it's, it's learning when you learn how to handle 
material wealth, then Jesus says, you're gonna, you're gonna be able to handle spiritual wealth. That when we're faithful with our finances, then we're, God knows we're gonna be faithful with spiritual wealth, and God has all kinds of things he wants to do. But the fact of the matter is, don't get satisfied. Don't come to a place where you say, where you think it's all being done, you've experienced it all, you've heard it all. And the longer you're in Christ, and the longer you're walking with the Lord, the bigger a danger that is. To get self-satisfied, to get smug, to feel like you've seen it all, heard it all, God help us to never be in that situation. One of the hallmarks of faith is to have a heart that's hungry for God that's asking for more. I mean, Elisha wants twice the miracles that Elijah did. Moses, he, his face glows with the glory of God, but he says, Lord, show me your glory. I want more. I mean, there's something to be said about Hezekiah said, I want 15 more years. The disciples asked for more faith. There's something about uh, the person who's walking by faith that says, God, I want more. I want to see more of your work, more of your power, more of your glory, more of your hand on my life, more divine appointments, more miracles in my life and in the lives of other people. I want to see more people saved in the church. I want to see more revival in the area. I want to see more people come to Christ. I I want to see you do more. And more for any one of us is not less for anybody else. That's the good news. That God is never, his, his supply is inexhaustible. And if you see somebody get more, you don't need to feel like, well, they got it. They got it all. They're getting, they're hogging all of the blessing. No, there's, there's plenty. It's not a pie that's divided out, and if somebody gets two pieces, you only get a sliver. It's, there's more for everybody. So let's ask God for more. Let's ask him for more of his presence, not just in the service. I, would, I desire that with all of my heart, but more of his presence on each of our lives more of his presence in our homes, more of his presence in the places we go, more of his presence in the people we see, more of his working in the conversations that we have, more of, more of healings, more baptisms, more salvations, more zeal, more faith, more love for God, more understanding of God. Oh God, I just want to understand you more. God, I want to understand your love more. I want to understand your goodness more. I want to understand your mercy more. God, give me more faith. God, give me more. There's a thousand things we could ask God to do more of, and his heart would be pleased with all of them. Lord, I just want more because you're a good God and you desire to do more, and I don't want to leave anything on the table. I want all that you have for me. And when we ask that, it's like Caleb. Caleb really becomes a picture of the generosity of God, the desire to provide for us like he did Aksa, but the relationship Aksa had with her dad to say, he's, a, he's good, he loves me, 
He delights in me. He's caring for me. He's providing for me in an over-the-top way. And yet, there's more that I need so I can ask. And I know, Othniel, I know when you go, he's going to say yes. And Othniel's probably thinking, well, what if he doesn't access as you don't know him like I do? And then when she gets the fields, she goes, and he right away knows she's coming to ask again. But he's not bothered by it. He's not saying, you had enough. Listen, how much more do you want? I've given you all. He never says that. She says, I got to have water. And he's like, fair enough. I'll give you the upper springs and the lower springs. I'll give you more. And I won't just give you a little. I'll give you a lot. I just won't give you one. I'll give you two. I will bless you because in his heart, it is to bless his daughter. Listen, that's a picture of God. His heart is to bless you. His heart is to do good to you. His heart is to help you. His heart is to reach down in your situation and show you his power to a degree that you could never begin to imagine or even comprehend. He's, he's a good God beyond our ability to imagine. Amen? You are good and you do good. So right now, what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to stand in the presence of the Lord because I just believe that, that this is a moment for us to think, what is it I need from God? And I, and I hope, you know, I mean, hey, whatever your needs are, certainly it's never wrong to bring whatever needs you have and to pray that through before the Lord. But I hope that for every person here and those watching online, that we don't stop our prayer time with having met basic needs, but that we spend our time saying, Lord, you are so wonderful. I want more. I want more of your presence. I want more of your power. I want more of your favor. I want more of your hand on my life. I want more understanding of your love. I want more of your spirit. I want more of who you are because the fact of the matter is, the more you get of him, the more you crave of him. And if you aren't asking for more, straight up, you're getting less. And if people make fun of you because of that, so be it. But what it does is it sets the table for God to declare his glory, display his glory through you and through your life in ways you can't begin to imagine. But there's a power in declaring what God has laid on our heart or what we have purposed to do in our life that God blesses. Here's what's, here's what's interesting with Joshua's declaration. After Joshua dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. As we saw Sunday, a lot of the tribes did a fairly poor job of that. The people served the Lord, and it came down really to whole, an absence of wholeheartedness. It's very difficult to conquer hostile enemies if you're half-hearted. I would just, again, I would just say this. There are some of you, and you're, you're fighting internal battles and struggles, and it's, it's very difficult. You're not having victory, and in a word, it's because you're not wholehearted. I'm not being unkind. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just saying that when, you, when you're wholehearted in your service of the Lord, vic some victories will only come by that way. 
And in that sense, we can find ourselves, people can find themselves living with less victory than God would desire for them, and it's because their heart isn't fully set on seeking the Lord, which is why we want to close the gap. So like Caleb, we can defeat the giants. We can win the victory. Many of them did not. It says this, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen the great things the Lord had done for Israel. After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation grew up who neither knew the, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Listen, the Bible says one generation declares your glory to the next. This is, this is the job of every generation, is to position ourselves to, this is why camps, this is why we do what we do with the camps. It's, it's why we've put a premium on the children in the youth ministry at the church and the early childhood ministry. Because we're not babysitting kids in the nursery, we're planting God's word in their heart, I'm telling you, it will bring a harvest. So the job is, you know, it's why you're what you've watched. If you've been at James River the last 30 years, good night is this place changed over and over and over and over and over again. And the reason why is because we are committed. We're never going to change the, the message, but we are not going to hold to a certain style as the style that God blesses because that's just not true. But we're going to be relevant to the generation so we can pass the baton to the next generation. And everything as, you know, hey, listen, I'm, I'm 58 years old. Um, yeah, I'm going to be 59. I can't believe it. <laughs> next month but Debbie gets there first. <laughs> so a lot of you ladies are like, you are dead meat, man. <laughs> so, but you know, at this point in my life, this is all I'm, this is what I'm thinking about. It's, it's setting, it, at some point you have to think what's, What's going to happen to this next generation? We want to be thinking about it all the time, but one generation declares your glory to the next. Declares, did you get that? You got to declare it. You got to speak it. You got to make way for it. You got to prepare it. You got to, you got to work. This is what this is all about. This is what Welcome to the Future is about. It's, it's what all of this is about is to say, hey, it might be good enough for, for you if, if you're 59 years old and say, you know what? Hey, this is all good. Why should? But it's not about that. It's about getting ready for the generation that follows that they might experience the power and the presence of God, that they might be strong in him, that they might declare his glory to their generation and to the next generation if the Lord tarries. So that's what we want. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and they served the Baals and they forsook the Lord, the God of their forefathers who had brought them out of Egypt and they followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. And whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them just as he had sworn to them, they were in great distress. Listen, if you, 
if you don't serve God wholeheartedly, your life's really distressing. I mean, it's just one problem after another with no power to bring the victory God would want you to have in, in serving him. And so Joshua is saying, listen, serve God with all that's within your heart. And when they did, things went well. And when they didn't, things went bad. And if you and I will say, we're gonna serve the Lord and with all of our hearts serve him, we're gonna know the blessing. I mean, honestly, it's what you're seeing in this place. So, I mean, hundreds and thousands of people have said, I'm gonna serve God with all of my heart. The pastors have said, we're gonna serve God with all of our heart. You're watching the Lord bless in response to that. We're calling on God, you're calling on God. Good night, you're here at the, the prayer meeting. So uh, you're, you're seeking the Lord. You're declaring by coming to this prayer meeting, this is important, this matters. And I'm telling you, God will honor you for it. He will bless you for it. 